What's up? Hey, is this fantastic? Listen, I invited a friend of mine. I said, hey, I'm going to pick up, uh, did I tell you about my Chinese boy? I'm going to pick up uh, Mandarin Tantrum, and I just, uh, I want you to come with me. He's five minutes away, and on our way back, it's only five minutes. I want you to count how many questions my Mandarin son asks, okay? And so he's like, what? I'm like, just trust me, count how many questions he asks. So we pick up my boy, he gets in the car, we get five minutes, we get home. And my friend looks at me, he's like, 21. I'm like, I know, it's nonstop. I am bombarded with questions. Now, some of the questions are easy. Can I have more fish crackers? Some of them are a little harder. Where do babies come from? Some of them are a little more personal. Why do you always listen to Fancy Like? It, we never grow out of questions. We always ask questions, don't we? Does he like me? Will my parents freak? Is God real? But the number one question that you can ask, the number one question is this. What is my purpose? What is my purpose? And the world wants to drown out your purpose. The world wants you to pick a purpose that revolves around you and that is self-absorbed. The world wants you to pick a small purpose. And unfortunately, many college students, they don't ask the question, what is my purpose? Instead, they're asking the question, what do I want to do? What, I want, what do I want to do for my summers? What do I want to do after I graduate? What do I want to do after I get married? But the question is not, what do I want to do? It's, what is my purpose? And that determines what we do. That determines what we do. And asking what is my purpose, it's not just a college question. It's not just a Christian question. It's a life. It's a life question. Everybody's asking this. Everyone is. The two greatest days of your life is the day you were born and the day you realize why. The two greatest days of your life is the day you were born and the day that you realize why. And the world has one objective. The objective is this. It wants to entice you into a small purpose. And it's going to offer three. The world will offer three enticing purposes. Let me share with you those three. The first one the world offers, money. Money. And unfortunately, many of your parents have chose that as a purpose, and many of your peers will as well. If you've ever heard of Mark Zuckerberg, your parents have, because they post your baby pictures on Facebook. Have you, if you've ever heard of, uh, of Bill Gates, your parents have, because they use a PC to post those pictures. If you've ever heard of, of, of Warren Buffett, your parents have. He's a 90-year-old billionaire who's never heard of Facebook. But what do those three people have in common? They're, they're, they're the richest people in the world. And yet, guess what they decided? We want to give away our money. The three richest people came together and decided, hey, guess what? We want to give it away in our lifetime. We want to give the vast majority of away. And they started what's called the giving pledge. There's 160 billionaires who have signed the giving pledge saying, we want to give away our wealth. When billionaires at the top of Money Mountain are screaming, it doesn't last, give it away. 
What does that mean for you and I? Money is not evil, but making it your life purpose is. It's not evil, but making it your life purpose is. I was scrolling through the news and I saw this article and it caught my attention. It said 27 Club. And I was like, 27 Club? What's the 27 Club? And as I read about the 27 Club, it said this. The 27 Club is everyone who's made it their life purpose to be famous and wealthy and then killed themselves at age 27. So to get in the 27 Club, you have to have made it your life purpose to be wealthy and famous and then taken your own life at age 27. Who's in the 27 Club? It gave a list. Jimi Hendrix died of sleeping pills, died at 27. Janis Joplin, making 50000 a night, overdosed on heroin, died at 27. Jim Morrison, worth $37 million, overdosed on heroin, died at 27. Kurt Cobain shot himself when his net worth reached $100 million, died at 27. Amy Winehouse won five Grammys in a single night, two years later, died at 27. There's 75 people in the 27 Club. There's 75 people. It's like they lived for money and they end up empty. Robin Williams killed himself when he had 100 million in the bank. Kate Spade killed herself when she had 200 million in, in the bank. Where I'm sitting right now, I'm, I, it's like, wow, money would be incredible to live for, but I have to trust those who've gone before me and who've tried it and have failed. I remember I saw the U-Haul pull into our neighbor's house. We got across the street, we got new neighbors. And I, I ran over to meet them because that's just kind of who I am. And it's Larry and Gigi. And as soon as I get there, he's like, can you help me move the treadmill? Yes, you know. And so I was like, woman, you know, where are you, wife? No. Um, and so me and my wife, we moved the treadmill. And um, I began to ask him, about spiritual things. I said, Larry, we go to church. Are you looking for a church? Are you spiritual at all? And he's like, I am not spiritual. No, thanks, Todd. You know, they're in their, they're in their early 70s, and he's like, I'm not interested. And we would meet at the mailbox and kind of have our moments, and I wouldn't let up. I'd be like, Larry, come to church with me. He's like, no. I'm like, Larry, come to a No. And so finally, I'm like, Larry, you're no spring chicken, okay? You need to get eternity figured out because you're going to be there quicker than me. Okay, I mean, no offense, but you're graying, okay? And he's like, no, Todd, I'm not interested. And then all of a sudden, the knock came on the door. And I opened it, and it's Gigi, and she's crying. And Gigi doesn't cry. And I said, Gigi, are you okay? She said, Larry's been diagnosed with esophageal cancer. He's been given 18 months to live. My, I was just like, oh my goodness. I followed her across the street. I went into the kitchen. Larry's at the, at the kitchen table reading a golf magazine. I sit down. I share about the hope in Christ. He stops me. He says, Todd, go home. Go home. Larry's trips to the mailbox got fewer and fewer until finally they didn't exist. 16 months later, I got a knock on the door. It's Gigi. She said, Todd, he has about two hours to live. Will you come talk to him? My heart starts beating. I grab my Bible. I follow her across the street. I'm shaking. 
I'm trying to figure out in a minute and a half what to say. I go down the hallway. I turn left into the master bedroom. I see Larry, 82 pounds, wearing a diaper, spitting in a cup. And I get down on my knee and I open the Bible and I just start sharing about the hope in Christ. And I, Larry, he's, I can't see what he's looking at, but he's looking over my shoulder. And I don't know what's going on. It's just me and him in the room, but I keep seeing him. He's not looking at me. He's doing this. He'll do this every now and then, but then he's doing this. And I'm looking at him, and then he's doing this. And I'm like, what, is the, what in the world is behind me? And I turn around, and I realize Larry's watching TV. And I say, Larry, you're going to be judged by Jesus in an hour and a half, and you're watching Storage Wars? And he says, just leave, just leave. I walk down the hall. This way I'm a little bit more cognizant on like what I'm seeing. I walk down the hall and I pass an amp and I pass an electric guitar and I pass a, a, a keyboard and I notice that they all have price tags and I go say goodbye to Gigi and I hug her and I say, Gigi, hey, real quick question. Why does everything in the hallway have price tags? And she said, oh, Todd. Larry itemized everything we own so that after he dies, I can sell it for maximum value. And I thought, wow, as I walked across the street, he itemized everything except his life. Nothing money can buy will last forever, but you do. That's why money never satisfies. The world invites us to choose money. The second thing the world offers, relationships. Relationships. The average person spends two and a half hours a day on Instagram because they think, man, if I can be liked and loved, I'll have a purpose. But guess what? It won't happen. It won't happen. People think a, a status will help them. If I just get married, I'll matter. But someone gets divorced in America every 13 seconds. Every 13 seconds, someone gets divorced. When, when, when a friend of mine asked me to officiate his wedding, and in order to officiate a wedding in a new state, I had to go to the county courthouse. And so I go into to Fayetteville, Arkansas. I go into the, the Washington County Courthouse. I go up the stairs through the metal detector, and I go into the wedding certificate office. I walk in, and I'm like, excuse me, to the lady at the desk. I'm like, where do I get the paperwork to be able to sign for a wedding certificate? And she looks at me and says, Todd Aaron." And I'm like, no way. And she's like, you have no idea who I am. And I was like, I know. I have no idea. And she's like, Allison, we went to Kaleo. And I was like, no way, give me a shug. You know, and so <laughs> gave her a side hug, you know, gave her a side hug. And so after the shug, I looked at her and I was like, Allison, you have like the greatest job in the world. Couples come in here giddy and excited and flirty with each other, and they get their marriage license from you, and you get to hand them this. And she's like, I know. But this is also the same place 
that you get your divorce certificate. And it's not odd that within the year, the same couple, one of them storms in and asks for a divorce certificate. I almost get so callous when I hand in the marriage license, it's hard for me not to say, see you in a year, but I just can't do that. You cannot fully satisfy someone. Why do you think they will you? You can't fully satisfy someone. Marriage is a gift. It is not a purpose. And no status, dating, engaged, or married, is going to fill that void in your life. But how many of your peers think that a relationship status will make me matter? The world offers you money. The world offers you relationships. And if you pick the world's purpose, it's never enough. The third thing the world offers, yourself. Live for yourself. Learn about yourself. You do you. Follow your heart. On the Enneagram, I'm a seven, wing of a seven. Kind of a big deal, right? It's like figure it out. What's the problem with starting with me? I am a terrible starting point. Okay, we are terrible starting points. I, I didn't date the right girl for a decade. I changed my major three times and I have a watermelon tattoo on my upper thigh. I don't make, I don't make, I don't make the best decisions, okay? I just, I don't. And it bothers me when people are like, start with you. I'm like, a cantaloupe? Because this is not working. I make bad decisions, okay? Jeremiah, Jeremiah 10 says this. Listen to Jeremiah 10, 23. People's lives are not their own. It's not your own. It's not for you to direct their steps. I don't make a good starting point because I don't know where I'm going. We were created for a purpose. And to find that purpose, we must go to the creator. I mean, Billie Eilish, she shot to stardom a few years ago. Listen to what she says. She's like, I'm literally 20. But it's funny how I'm expected to find myself and stick with it. She's just unknowingly quoting Jeremiah 10, 23. It's not for me to direct my steps. The world invites you to pick a small purpose. The world woos us with money with relationships, with self. Why do people choose money? Because they want security. They want peace. They want success. Why do people choose relationships? They want to feel valued. They want to feel affirmed. Why do they choose self? They want to figure out their identity or confidence. But yet none of those will satisfy. The world's purpose is never enough. Only God's purpose will satisfy. We, uh, we took a family trip to Bozeman, Montana, and before we were going, I wanted to go big. You know, we don't travel much, so I was like, no price too high, booked it, six of us, Super 8, here we go. And so, uh, I'm not joking, I'm big time, okay, I arrived. And uh, my friend called me before we took off to the drive to Bozeman. And my friend's like, hey, here's what you got to do. Go to Glacier, go to all this. He's like, oh, and by the way, where are you staying? And I was like, well. I mean, Super 8. And he's like, you don't want to stay at the Super 8. And I'm like, 
why not? Is there cigarettes in the pool? Like, what could be so bad? He's like, you don't want to stay at the Super 8. You want to stay at the Montana Inn. And I'm like, oh, I hung up the phone. I'm like, babe, skis, he wants me to stay at the... He wants me to stay at the Montana Inn. I already got our points. I already secured the, the, the credit card. I just, you know, I already told Super 8, I, I want to be a man of my word. And, um, and, like, my wife's like, you should trust him. Let's stay at the Montana Inn. And so I, I, I am so glad I did. I pull into Bozeman. I pull into the Montana Inn. And not only am I greeted by a warm cookie, all seven of my family members get a warm cookie, and in front of the, in the lobby is a seven-foot stuffed grizzly. I mean, we're taking selfies before I check in. There's mounted elk. It's Bass Pro Shop on crack, okay? There's mounted elk. There's moose. I mean, there's three koi ponds you can put the coin in. Can you even picture it? And you get the koi food, and you throw it in. There's three koi. There's five hot tubs. There's five hot tubs. I mean, I, I said, kids, gather around. They all gathered around. I leaned down. I said, kids, if you don't remember anything else dad says for the rest of my life, remember this. Super 8 sucks. <laughs> it's one thing to miss an incredible weekend at a hotel, but most people miss a life purpose. It's one thing to miss a weekend at a hotel, but most people choose a life purpose that won't satisfy. The world's purpose won't satisfy. Only God's purpose does. And so what is God's purpose? He tells us. Jesus, throughout the narrative of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's building this crescendo in Matthew 28 where he drops our purpose. Here's what he says. He says this in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In this last words of Christ said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the centerpiece of what he says is this. He looks out at his first followers and he says, here is your life purpose. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. He says, I have all authority. I am the creator. I am the sustainer in whom all things will return to me. The dead will rise and give account to me. And I am telling you to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. It's interesting what he doesn't say. He doesn't say go and make Christians, even though that's a good thing. He doesn't say go and build church buildings, even though that's a good thing. He says this is going to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And to get it there, you have to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We have a big backyard, okay? We got a lot of kids. We have a big backyard. And they, they run around like crazy, and they're always digging. They're digging. They're like, mainly they find stuff, and they bring it to me. They're like, normally it's like an old Coke bottle or a dead bug. But we got a metal detector, and it's game on. I mean, it is game on in our backyard. 
And my daughter, no joke, two months ago, two months ago, my 14-year-old daughter came and she comes running in. She's like, Dad, Dad, I found an ancient Indian arrowhead. And I'm like, you did? I did. I'm like, you did? I did. She found, I'm like, you found, she's like, I got to clean it. I can't even talk. She's shaking. She's so excited. She sticks her feet in the sink. She turns the hot water on. She gets the Clorox, the magic eraser, her brother's toothbrush, and she starts scrubbing. She's scrubbing. I go on, you know, I do dad stuff. I clean the kitchen and stuff. And I'm mopping, you know, loving my wife. And I, 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 this is like a half hour later, and I, all of a sudden I, I hear, I hear this, you gotta be kidding me. I hear it again. You gotta be kidding me. And I look over and I go, What's up, Cam? She goes, I spent 30 minutes polishing a rock. This isn't an ancient Indian arrowhead, this is a rock. And I sat there, and no joke, with her feet in the sink, I said, this is a 14-year-old life moment. And I said, Camden, look at me. Look at me. The world gives you a rock to polish. God gives you a purpose to pursue. The world gives you a rock to polish. It took my daughter 30 minutes to realize she was polishing a rock. Many of your peers are going to take 30 years polishing their resume, portfolio, and career. The world gives you a rock to polish. God, he gives you a purpose to pursue. Go and make disciples. This is not optional. It doesn't matter your gifting, your Enneagram score. It doesn't matter any of that. This is obeying what Jesus has offered you as a life purpose. It's not about full-time ministry. You're to do this in the marketplace. You're to do this wherever you go. Raising your kids at home, you are to go and make disciples. But before you can make a disciple, you have to be a disciple. We have to be a disciple before we can make one. Do you realize the word Christian appears three times in our Bible? The word disciple appears 238. We're not called to be Christians. We're called to be disciples who make disciples. We're not called to be Christians. Christians appears three times. Disciple 238. How would I define a disciple? Here's the, the most simplest definition. Here's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who spends time with God and teaches others what God taught them. A disciple, simply put, is this. They spend time with God, and then what God teaches them, they teach others. A disciple is someone who spends time with God and teaches others what God taught them. This is what the first 12 disciples did. They spent time with Jesus and then taught others what God taught them. Acts 4.13, what a phenomenal verse. Now when they, the, the, the leaders who were not Christ followers, saw the boldness of the first disciples, Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Look at that last phrase. They recognized that they spent time with Jesus 
and then taught others what Jesus taught them. And they were not scholars. They were uneducated common men. They would have been your rec majors. Okay, they were just uneducated. I thought that was funny. They were uneducated common men. You don't have to be a scholar to, make, to be a disciple and make disciples. You just have to meet with God and teach others what God taught you. And maybe no one in this room... Maybe no one in this room has ever heard of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham was a, a teacher in Kentucky, but he was a man who spent time with God and taught others what God taught him. He shared Christ with a teenager named Billy. Billy came to Christ. Mordecai Ham began to help him grow. To the world standard, Mordecai Ham did not have an incredibly huge, successful ministry. But from an eternal perspective, his ministry was massive. Because he led Billy Graham to Christ and then helped him grow. Billy Graham has preached the gospel to more people than anyone else in history. Millions of people. He was the personal mentor of presidents of the United States for 50 years. But there is no Graham without Ham. There is no Graham without Ham. Think about that. Spending time with God and then teaching others what God taught you. Can I tell you about my ham? Can I tell you about my ham, the ham in my life? Man, here's the ham in my life. I mean, when I first came to, to college as a freshman, I had my plan, my major, my mullet. I mean, my world was rock star, okay? My world was rock star. I was rock star, right? And I just, I wanted to party and all that. But then I just realized, like I mentioned, I was becoming the wrong person with the wrong priorities, with the wrong purpose. And I heard about a guy, I heard about a guy who went to University of Arkansas, who was an hour from me. And I heard about, his name was Nick. And he wanted to spend time with God and teach others. He was a freshman. Like me, he wanted to spend time with God and teach others what God taught him. And so twice a month, I would drive to University of Arkansas, and I would sit in Yoakum with Nick. And I'd be like, okay, that's, that's a dorm, okay? I would sit in the dorm with Nick. And, and Nick would just teach me. The first five times I ever read my Bible were with Nick. Nick took me to share my faith. He showed me how to do it. Nick bought me books of, of, on, on Christianity that I didn't even know I should read. And he was like, you should read these. He challenged me in my purity and my time in, my, in the Word. He challenged me so much. Sometimes it was very difficult to hang out with this guy. Nick was different. Nick was someone who wanted to spend time with God and teach others what God taught him. Nick died at 28. None of us in here think we're going to die at 28. None of us. But Nick's legacy lives on by those that he was faithful to train and equip and challenge. His legacy still lives on. We need to be a disciple. But guess what? Matthew 28 doesn't say go and be a disciple. Matthew 28 commands us a step further. We need to go and make disciples. Well, how do you make a disciple? It's one thing to be a disciple, but then how do you, how do you like create one? How do you make one? And this is where Paul the Apostle in 2 Timothy 2.2 just shines a spotlight on how to make a disciple. 
Paul the Apostle wrote 13 books in our New Testament, planted churches all over Europe and Asia, and yet he hones in on young Timothy. And he says, Timothy, I'm going to train you. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to spend time with God, and I'm going to teach you what God taught me. And for 14 years, he spends time with Timothy, mentoring Timothy. And now here he is, his last letter. Paul's in prison. He's writing Timothy his last farewell. And here's what he says, 2 Timothy 2.2. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust a faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, a lot of people around, and trust a faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. Paul's like, the things you heard me say, I'm just meeting with God and passing it on to you. He says, Timothy, I want you to find faithful men to entrust this to. And I asked this, I asked myself, I'm like, of all the things that Paul uses to describe who Timothy needs to be meeting with, the word he uses is faithful. He says, Timothy, find faithful. They have to be faithful. And I was like, what does faithful mean? Faithful means you're willing to stand up for Christ in your fraternity, sorority, your living group. Faithful means your yes means yes. If you say you're gonna be there, you're there. Faithful means you're willing to do the hard things, to step out into an uncomfortable situation. You're willing to crucify your, your self-image for the sake of Christ. What does faithful mean? You're willing to do the hard things. And I'm like, why faithful? And then I realized I have spent so much time wasting it on unfaithful men. So much time. Oh, man. They tell me, oh, what time's it start? Where's it at? I'll bring the chips. And then it's time for the meeting, and they're nowhere to be found. They don't show up. They're somewhere else eating the chips. They're not, they, they, they start out full of passion, but end up full of excuses. They start out full of passion and end up full of excuses. And, and Paul says, Timothy, don't waste your time on unfaithful people. Don't waste your time. Your ministry is not helping half-hearted Christians who don't want to show up at things to try to show up at things. That's not your ministry. Paul tells Timothy, find faithful and be faithful. Find faithful and be faithful. And maybe, let's be honest, maybe this last semester, the word to define you was unfaithful. You limped into SMC because a crush came and you wanted to follow her or him. And, and man, you ghosted more people. You haven't texted back. Matter of fact, when you say something, people yawn because they know it's not going to happen. And maybe here at SMC, you need to go and apologize and say, listen, I was distracted and unfaithful and I am sorry. Will you trust me to be faithful this spring? Paul tells Timothy, find faithful and be faithful. Find faithful and be faithful. It's called Senior Walk. University of Arkansas does it. It's the longest and oldest tradition in the University of Arkansas. What they do is they etch your name 
in the sidewalk once you graduate. It started in 1876. There's five names. 1877, there's 10 names. There's 150,000 names etching the sidewalk at University of Arkansas over five miles long. This May, 5,000 students are going to graduate, and the university will spend $250,000 putting their name in the sidewalk. And it's fun to walk around and look at the names. I mean, my favorite is by the art building. There's a guy, you look down, his name's Chip Money. And I'm like, yeah, that's epic. I'm literally, no joke, I'm walking with my friend Nathan Allen, and we're just walking around campus, you know, hitting a coffee shop. And he looks down, and he stops, he's like, dude. I'm like, what? He's like, look. I'm like, where? He's like, there. I'm like, where? He's like, there. It said Nathan Allen, which was his name. He's like, I can go home. He's like, I can just go home. Everybody at University of Arkansas will graduate and leave that small little legacy. But when you leave your campus, what will be your legacy? What will be your legacy? If you entrust to faithful who find faithful, it will last. If you are a disciple who makes disciples, it will last. Look at the verse, 2 Timothy 2. Let's just finish this up. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men. Why faithful? Because they have to teach others. It doesn't stop with them. You don't want your legacy to be two generations, you and another. You want it to continue. And so they must teach others also. They must teach others also. Faithful people want to pass it on. They want to. How do you make a disciple? If you know how to have a quiet time, show someone how to have a quiet time. If you know how to pray, show someone how to pray. If you know how to share your faith, start with showing someone how to share your faith. Don't graduate without leaving behind a disciple. If this is your senior year, spring semester, make it count. Be a disciple who makes disciples. Be faithful and find faithful. Why was making disciples Jesus' method? Because there's 8 billion people alive right now, and 6 billion don't know Christ. And Jesus says the best way to get it to all nations is to multiply. Multiplication. Multiplication. You disciple someone, then you both take someone else, then you all take someone else, and it multiplies. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 2, and you're going to see four generations in one verse. 2 Timothy 2, 2, there's four generations. The things you've heard me say, that's Paul saying this to Timothy. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. The things you, Timothy, have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Where's the four generations? Look at this. You, Timothy. Me, I taught you, Timothy, Paul. Faithful men who teach others. Paul shows four generations in one verse. Before you graduate, you'll be, you could look and see if you're, if you're faithful and find faithful and you want to make disciples, you'll, find, you'll have four generations before you leave campus. And this was the way Jesus did ministry. He loved the world. He helped many, but he trained a few. Think about this. Jesus loved the world. He helped many, but he trained 12. 
And after 180 years after he was crucified, the Roman Empire became Christian. Think about that. He loved the world. He trained, he helped many, but he trained a few. Anybody can count the seeds in an apple. There's six. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple. But how many apples in a seed? How many apples in a seed? You can't. You can't count that. Because if you take a seed and you nourish it and you care for it and you water it, it will grow up to become an apple tree, to bear more apples, to bear more seeds that you care for. And it's endless. It's endless. Trust the process. Be faithful. Find faithful. Be a disciple who wants to make disciples. But here's what boggles my mind. There was a survey done of a thousand Christians. And what they found is only 0.3% were actively making disciples. There was a survey done, a thousand Christians, and only 0.3, that was like two or three people. And you're like, man, if Jesus commanded it and Paul modeled it, why do so few obey it? Why do so few obey it? And maybe it's because we're self-absorbed. My life, my money, my schedule. I got to graduate early. I've got a, I got a, I got a lot of hours this semester. And we're self-absorbed in our world. Maybe we don't make disciples because we don't want to do the hard things. I'd rather show up at Bible study when it's convenient, not try to lead one. When we, do, we don't want to do the hard things. We don't want to live pure. We don't want to challenge others in their faith. Maybe people don't do it because they're self-absorbed. Maybe they don't do it because they don't want to do the hard things. Maybe they don't want to do it because we're hypocrites. Our life in the fraternity or sorority steals our voice. You can't drink till blackout on Thursday night and then lead a study on Friday morning. Nobody wants the life we're leading. Whatever reason, so few Christians are being disciples who make disciples. Is your life purpose being a disciple who makes disciples or have you reduced it to money? Is your life purpose being a disciple who makes disciples or have you reduced it to a relationship status? Is your life purpose being a disciple who makes disciples or have you turned inward and just focused on self? I promise you this, nothing the world offers will satisfy only being a disciple who makes disciples will. Julian, Julian Dawkins, where are you? There you are. We got a lot, lot in common, Julian. See, you're the, you're the only SIG up from University of Wyoming here. You're it, man. You're it. But Julian, I want to just look at me, son. I want to tell you right now that God can and will use your life in that SIG up house to leave a legacy. You know how I know that, Julian? Let me tell you how I know that. Let me tell you how I know that, Julian. I know that because I know, I know Daisy. 
I know the story of Daisy. Let me tell you about Daisy. Daisy came to the University of Arkansas. She was disillusioned with God. She wanted nothing to do with God. She didn't even believe he existed. But a girl named Kat Coyle believed in her and began to share the gospel with Daisy. Daisy was a, was a KD. She was interested in her sorority and partying. But over 10 months of Kat sharing Christ with this KD, and Daisy becomes a Christ follower. Daisy becomes a Christ follower. And now Daisy's like, it's my turn. It's my turn. I, I, just like Kat did with me, I got to find faithful and be faithful. And so in the KD house, she meets a girl named Anna. And Anna came in as a Christian, but Anna didn't have any tools. She didn't know how to study your Bible. She didn't know how to share her faith. She didn't know how to lead a Bible study. She needed help. And Daisy and Anna locked arms and they were faithful. They wanted to be disciples who make disciples. They were faithful and they wanted to find faithful. And Anna realized just like Daisy did for her, Anna needs to turn and look at the Katie house and who God wants her to help grow. She knew a girl named Parrish. Parrish was Miss Crazy. Miss Crazy. No one, no one could imagine Parrish coming to Christ. But Anna did. And after a disillusioned breakup with Parrish's boyfriend, Parrish became very interested in the gospel. And Anna shared Christ. And last SMC, Parrish became a Christ follower. And now Parrish, Parrish, Parrish says, man, now just like Anna and Daisy, it's my turn to be faithful and find faithful. It's my turn to, to, to be a disciple who makes disciples. And so she sees a Katie named Skylar who's struggling and she shares the gospel with Skylar and Skylar became a Christ follower last month. And you might think, man, wow. Where's Daisy? Well, Daisy, she graduated. She got married. She moved to San Antonio. She's getting a job at a marketing firm where in the marketplace, she will continue to make disciples. Julian, guess what? Daisy's legacy continues. It lives on. It lives on. Let me introduce you to Anna. Let me introduce you to Parrish. Let me introduce you to Skylar, and let me introduce you to the other KDs who came with these three. I don't care. Isn't that incredible? I don't care if you're one. I don't care if you're one. I don't care if you're five. I don't care if you're 15 or 33. If you want a lasting legacy, you go and you make disciples and you multiply. <laughs>